Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Zhang, a culture writer and critic. This week we're discussing Abbott Elementary and A Hero, a comedy series and a film about two people trying to do good in a complicated world. Nice, very nice. nice. Yeah. How's your week been, love? Uh, it's been okay, as always. I am enjoying a uh, resurgence of a hobby that I occasionally partake in, which is crosswording. Oh, uh, shit. Yeah. I've never been a crossword girl. What? It mainly because it's, <laughs> mainly, like, honestly, because it's a little bit hard for me. It, um, it, it is. And honestly, like, a lot of the times I get really frustrated and I find the clues that some places use just totally infuriating like i get mm-hmm. so pissed off at mm-hmm. the kind of things to try to pass those clues but vulture actually has a new crossword that i find uh much easier and it's all like pop culture related and oh, yes you know much more manageable i have always managed to to finish it eventually so that's a nice little break uh for anyone who's getting back into word games with wordle and everything and i I feel like you you know by making it a little bit easier everybody feels good about it because i feel like that's the whole promise of wordle too it's like Mm -hmm. partly luck but it's also accessible like you can kind of do it yeah you don't have to dedicate like like i've i've spent like 20 25 minutes on some like new yorker crossers before and that's that's a lot no one should be trying to do that so no no yeah nice little slice of time out of your day and and you're on your way yeah how are you felon otherwise what's going on with your work um i'm doing okay i've come to the realization that i've become a bath person now like i've always been a shower girl Mm -hmm. Uh, but according to my mother i spoke to her yesterday apparently when i was little i was obsessed with bath time as well which which I feel like is pretty standard for kids, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. Like kids love bath time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm not different. Um, <laughs> but because my home in London, uh, my family home, we've been there for the last like 15 years now. Mm. That's only ever had a shower in it. Like we never had a bathtub. Mm, mm-hmm. And then in my last place in, in New York, we were there for four years and that didn't have a bathtub that worked because every time we tried to fill it, it leaked down to our bottom neighbor. Mm-hmm. And this apartment that I'm now, now in definitely has a functioning bathtub. And I've just been taking a bath every week. Oh, and it's nice. really nice. Yeah, it's really nice. I still have to go through the fucking arduous task of cleaning it before i get into it and then showering afterwards anyway because i'm definitely not yeah yeah but it feels great it's like a very very ritual ritualistic event and obviously i've uh being the the double tourist that i am i've kind of been like well what bath products do i need now so now i'm like looking at 80 dollar bath bubble good for you good for you (laughs) i mean i i also love baths although yeah the circumstances of like Oh, either not having a tub or not having a clean tub. Uh, those are the main yeah. sort of barriers to entry. Uh, I would love yeah. like just a really nice deep soaking tub someday. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Or yeah. maybe to like go to a hotel with like a really nice you know soaking tub. Uh, yeah. Well, for my birthday, I went to the Ludlow, and they've got a really deep. Mm. Like they're known for their deep tubs, um, and they fill up really fast too. They even have like a little sign on the <laughs> the bathtub to be like, "Don't walk away from uh, it." Ah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. W- yeah, so um yeah, I highly recommend that if you want to treat yourself. Nice. Love this. Yeah. It's a great sort of uh enjoyment and passion in life. Speaking of things that make you feel good, <laughs> what have, <laughs> what have you been watching this week? So I've been watching Abbott Elementary, which is on Hulu. This is the new ABC sitcom created by Quinta Brunson, who yes. many of you may be fans of. Uh I certainly am. 
all the way back from the BuzzFeed video days. And she was yeah. also on HBO's A Black Lady Sketch Show. You know, she's been around doing a whole lot of stuff. Uh, she is the you got money was it a vine back then that she made or like just like a regular video that oh people... maybe yeah. yeah she's that she's that girl like that's when she popped onto my radar and i was like this person's a fucking joker bro like she's yeah. so funny yeah um, very talented but, yeah. so she's also like very funny in this show she stars as janine who is an idealistic second grade teacher uh, who works at a very underfunded philadelphia public school and also running out the cast are Shelley Ralph, who was uh, in the original Dreamgirls musical, Lisa and Walter, who is Chessie on The Parent Trap. A lot of people love her. Yeah. Uh, there's <laughs> also Tyler James Williams, who is known for Everybody Hates Chris. I knew he looked familiar the first time he popped up on screen. Yeah, dude. Um, He's grown, yeah. man. <laughs> he is grown. He is grown. Um, and then there's also Chris Perfetti. Uh, uh, he's also one of the fellow teachers and comedian Janelle James plays the principal. Yeah. So that's the cast. To give like a little bit more on the, the gist of this whole thing, it's pretty much a classic workplace comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, reminding me a lot of just like the NBC shows I really loved yeah. uh, growing up like Parks and Rec and more recently Superstore, which you talked about in a previous episode. So I'm very much into this whole workplace comedy sitcom situation. What about you, Pellin? How much are you a fan of these kind of shows? Um, I didn't really grow up on these, uh, Mm -hmm. obviously. I think with us, British sitcoms are a little bit more, definitely dark, more dark humor. Yeah, more of an edge. Yeah. We had teachers growing up. This was our version of Abbott Elementary. But yeah, this is, I love this show. Yeah. I think like it's really good at following the formula basically for these kind of, you know, workplace comedies, which is very much like a, a an equation of like okay you got to have the the cast of characters they got to have like some variety some like quirks in them and then you add like their dynamics with each other how they gel and interact with each other and then the final piece in this equation is like how many scenarios or hijinks that the environment can throw at them yeah and in that regard like i think a school is kind of a perfect setting Mm. especially in elementary school like this especially one that is you know struggling because they don't have funding which will lead the principal or the teachers to kind of do whatever it takes like kind of shenanigans to be able to fulfill their mission and duty of teaching young kids yeah i'm actually surprised that like at least in the the u.s like there's there are plenty of like school shows like centering more in like high school i think Mm. not as many like elementary school settings at least for this kind of like uh sitcom workplace comedy type of thing yeah because for that the ease of doing the older students is that you then can have complicated or at least semi-complicated characters that you can kind of play into it that Mm -hmm. prop up the main cast a little bit more yeah whereas this is definitely like relying on just the main cast so yeah i also thought it was like really interesting that it came out right at the time although you know obviously they i'm sure they've been working on this for a while but you know there's so much conversation going on about schools and like reopening remote Mm. uh learning and Especially, I think I, I like that it highlights the struggles of teachers, which yeah. is like criminal. Like, in I don't know how it is in the UK, but in, like here, it's just like so fucking terrible. Like, mm. how little public school teachers are paid, how much they pay out of their own pocket to provide the bare minimum of, of stuff for their students, how much they care, and yeah. how much they like schools are leaned upon as just like these institutions to provide 
everything to nurture, to feed, to teach, to babysit, to watch. And I, I don't know. I found it like really disheartening, like all the, the sort of debate about, uh, teachers or whatever going on. Yeah. But yeah. How is it in the UK? Like, I'm sure Uh, maybe it's like somewhat uh, universal, but yeah. I mean, to some extent, I grew up in a, in a public school system, like up until, well, university was the first time I had to pay for school. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. I think there is a difference. Obviously, like some schools get more funding because the principal is a little bit like, or like the headmaster, as we call it, is a little bit savvier about how to get it. And then like Mm -hmm. on a base level, for the most part, I don't think we were ever really lacking books or resources like like tangible like holding your hand resources it was more that mm-hmm. um for us it was the class being overcrowded like i remember mm-hmm. that being a real issue when i was younger i don't know if it still is like we had to cap it at 30 students a class uh, but mm-hmm. some schools had a little bit more some had a little bit less the support for like for students with uh, certain needs wasn't quite being met um mm-hmm. but it's still just from what i'm observing it's still a little bit better than here <laughs> like um but yeah it is like on the, on the perspective of the kids i don't think i ever felt like it was lacking and i think yeah. what i like about abbott elementary is like we know like it's just like a truth that this is something that they have to deal with yeah totally like the way that it sort of balances that and like in this kind of environment like they can touch on you know class and like socioeconomic situations yeah. they can touch on like the issue of like lack of funding and uh lack of money for teachers and how much teachers have to take on they have to, they can touch on like race because this is yeah. in uh philadelphia you know a lot of the the students are are black a lot of the the teachers in the school are black they can touch on all of these and they're like a core part of like the truth of this yeah. but it, it without becoming too like a after school special about it exactly um, yeah yeah exactly which is kind of nice i really liked how superstore did that also yeah. in the, the store and like you know retail worker environment so this is uh, would be glad to see more on this front here. Yeah. So let's talk about the characters. Yeah. So, of course, we have a variety of characters. Mm-hmm. I think, like, they all kind of, you know, so far they're playing, like, pretty close to type. They all fulfill a certain role, mm-hmm. uh, which is typical for sitcoms. But I think they're written and played uh, very competently and confidently. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, working so far. Uh, who is, or is your favorite or some of your favorites so far? I've got to say Janelle James. Yes. she. So she plays a principal. And you can talk a little bit more about her, but she really is such a hilarious standout. Um, yeah. I My friend actually put me onto her comedy uh, stand-up performance on, ah, ne- on yeah. the Netflix's comedy lineup. And she's actually a great stand-up comedian as well. She's actually, like, pretty funny. Yeah, what about you? I, I also really like Janelle James. Yeah. So the idea of just like this clout chasing, TikTok using, fame obsessed principle is like very funny, and I think it works for this. I it took me like a couple episodes, I think, to really click with how ridiculous this character is. Mm. Um, but she's like really grown on me, especially I think the way that Janelle James plays her. She is very charismatic, and that really shows. I also kind of like Chris Perfetti's character. Mm. Um, so basically the, the young white guy nerdy teacher who is like very like self aware of his own, uh, quote unquote privilege. And yeah. he's like trying not to be problematic. And he gets roasted by the, his students on a daily basis for being like a HuffPost reading, like a Pete Buttigieg. No, like, like a gay uh, Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> it really yeah, cracked yeah. me up. Yeah. <laughs> um great roast i i think quinta brunson is like really good as janine but I, yeah there's always this problem of like 
the the main character playing it a little bit too straight. Like, they have to be sort of a foil to the wackier characters. Yeah. But she has some, like, hints of weird shit going on. So I'd love to see that sort of unfold a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, like, the latest episode was my favorite by far that they've Mm -hmm. released just because you get to see a little bit more of her like petulance coming out yeah and it isn't so much like her trying to be like we need to do better and like just be this do-gooder it's that she was pissed that she got a slightly bad review which wasn't even that bad and then like just completely fucked it for Mm -hmm. for everybody around her I just want to say I want to give a shout out to both Cheryl Lee Rafe and Lisa Ann Walter. They're the they're the older women in this cast of characters, and they're the ones yeah. that are a little bit older and wiser. And I really love what they bring to the show. I also yeah. think that they're both like gorgeous. Like they're both so pretty. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> oh, I love them. Um, and yeah, they they really uh, ground the show, not in a serious way, just in a like these are we've what been teachers there, are like. We've done that totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah I love the a kind of mentor mentee dynamic, or even totally, just like yeah. a been around the block experienced person versus yeah, a yeah. hopeful newbie dynamic yeah exactly i gotta say like maybe one of my few criticisms so far is i don't really know if i like the mockumentary style that it's mm. that's in so of yeah. course it has all the things like you know these sly looks at the camera these interviews like uh very pointed reaction shots to me it kind of feels like very much back in the office heyday like 2010 or something and right maybe not even really necessary for a show like this. Like, they make Mm. up a conceit to justify the mockumentary concept, which is like, oh, like, our principal invited a film crew here to make a documentary about us so that we can, like, become more well-known and get more funding or something like that. I It's... I okay, I guess. I don't yeah. know. I, I I'm not super digging it. What do you think about the mockumentary style, Helen? I don't mind it. It just mm-hmm. feels like they're one foot out the door with it. Which is part that I'm a bit like, pick one. Mm. Uh, it, I mean, in, on a story perspective, it works. Because mm-hmm. the confessional scenes really kind of sum up what's going on. And it's really simple and satisfying to hear the characters try and like explain themselves. Mm-hmm. And explain their actions so that you don't have to like get in their heads. Yeah. It's it's funny sometimes, and it's totally unnecessary others other times. So it's like I don't know. It's like straddling. You can tell that it's straddling, and I just yeah. don't want it to straddle. Yeah, it's easy to lean on this kind of device, but it's like yeah. hard to make it truly like a hundred percent work all the time. The office is like didn't pioneer, but it was like one of the the pioneers of this kind of style and. It really worked for that uh, particular yeah. story. But, you know, that's a small quibble. Yeah. Overall, uh, I, I do like this show. I think it's a very solid, even if not like incredibly groundbreakingly like new or something. Um, yeah. It's a very solid start, a very solid uh, addition to, I think, weekly rotations. Like, yeah. I, I love having just a workplace sitcom or something that's like very satisfying and comfortable to watch every week. So I think this is going to take that spot for me. I personally love the fact that, you know, like what we were talking about with Judy Berman about like, where's the middle class TV, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Not to say that this is necessarily middle class because it is definitely like upper working or lower middle, but the fact that you're seeing people in a professional setting that isn't necessarily like billionaires (laughs) or that isn't necessarily someone that's like, extremely poor and trying to like it, the the fact that this is somewhere in the middle and accessible to people to most of america i think mm-hmm. um it is is really important and i think 
they've been really doing well with the ratings so i'm happy yeah for them, you know yeah they um i think the reports are saying their viewership quadrupled compared to their premiere episode which is huge i think especially now nowadays yeah. it's so common for the opposite to happen like their big premieres and then yeah. people kind of drift off so yeah. i think this is really spreading like word of mouth mm-hmm. uh online and like quinton brunson is like doing so much outreach and like hustle for the show of course like this is her big uh project so yeah it'll like have a longer shelf life i think it'll stick around for a while So we have a bit of surprise for you all today. Very happy to announce that we have our inaugural sponsor. Yeah. (laughs) So this episode of Criticism is Dead is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover. Pretty exciting. Yes. And with Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected. It's kind of like having your own personal film festival uh, from the comfort of your home or wherever you are. It streams anytime, anywhere. Yeah. Uh, So I was poking around in Mubi, just taking a look at what they have there. One of the things that immediately caught my eye is that they have Dead Pigs, the film by Kathy Ann. So when we talked about it for our pod, I had to pay to watch that movie. Yeah, yeah. But now I know it's right there on Mubi at could have saved me a lot of trouble yeah and my recommendation i would say is once upon a time in anatolia i have to rep my set a little bit this is one of my favorite films of all time it's from the director nuri bilge jaylan for our listeners you can try movie free for 30 days at movie.com forward slash criticism is dead that's mubi.com slash criticism is dead for a whole month of great cinema for free lucky you What about you, Palin? What did you watch this week? So I watched this uh, a couple months ago, but I have rewatched it. And this is A Hero, which you can now find on Amazon Prime. If you remember, this was on my top five movies of 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the latest work by Asghar Farhadi, who is the Iranian director famous for his two Oscar-winning films, A Separation, which was back in 2012 he won that, and then The Salesman, which he won, I think, 2017. But they were both produced the year before. Um, have you seen any of those two films? No, I don't think I have. They're a little bit hard to watch, but um, um, there, there's a way to find it and buy it, I think. Um, I highly recommend, uh, especially A Separation. So I was pretty excited about this because it had been a minute since we'd seen a film by him. And I've got to say, apart from A Separation, I haven't been the biggest, like, not that they were bad, but I've seen some of his other films and they just weren't as good as A Separation. And this is the first time with A Hero where I was like, yes, we finally did it. <laughs> And it tells the story of Rahim, played by Amir Jadidi. He is a man that is imprisoned for debt, and he's let out for a two-day leave. And in those two days, we find out that his girlfriend found 17 gold coins by chance. And instead of converting the gold coin to money and then paying off his debt, instead of doing that, he decides to return it. And the gold is given back to its rightful owner, we think. And the prison, who is keen to kind of spin away a story about an inmate's suicide, they spread the story to news outlets. And then a charitable foundation reaches out and tries to help him for, you know, reward him for his good deed. And then Raheem kind of grapples with his new image, um, ipso facto, his new identity as a quote unquote hero. Because it's so different to the one that he's been dealing with as of late, you know, according to his former brother-in-law, who is his creditor. 
his name is Bahram. He's a cheat and a fraud and a liar and a prisoner, basically. That's all he is. So, Jenny, what was going through your mind? in the Because fir- this film is pretty much split into two, I would say. What was going through your mind for the first half of this film? Well, I was enjoying it, you know, as the first half. I hadn't read exactly what happened. Um, like, all the summaries of this online have been fairly, I think, minimal, mm-hmm. maybe to, to sort of keep the unraveling yeah. <laughs> a surprise in some yeah. way. So I kind of went into this... Uh, without knowing much i thought like okay good for this guy like it seems like it'll work out for him in some way but then of course you get to that point where things do start to unravel Mm -hmm. and everything from that point onward is just like so like masterful and i was really really impressed by everything that they sort of laid the foundation out for in the beginning to kind of play a role in the second half yeah. of this where things just like turn into a total shit yeah show. i mean same same for me like I, it kind of felt like everything was slowly slotting into place yeah but then you look at the time and you're like oh we've only been here for an hour yeah yeah exactly it was pretty much like halfway through when i was like oh there's still longer yeah, like, here the, the fairy tale ending comes halfway through the film so then it builds it for me when i first watched it it built dread yes and yes. because it was like oh god it's obviously not as simple as this and it definitely delivers on that promise it is definitely not as simple as this so yeah yeah like halfway in the, basically in the middle of the film for so the, the happy half ending is that he's rewarded for all these good deeds like on the promise of good faith essentially like the charity organization they want to broker peace with his creditor and get him a job at city council and give him money to help with the debt but then like that tide ever like it just like very slowly starts creeping the other way and turns on him Mm -hmm. and you know i don't really like to assign a genre to a non-genre film but the reason why i love this so much and the reason why like a separation is also so good is because they are both essentially a slow burning thriller slash horror about morality and about humanity and about like doing good and what that can do for you like a lot of critics have brought up that that saying like no good deed goes unpunished Mm -hmm. and it's it's a pretty obvious crutch to lean on when you're watching this but it's a little bit more complicated than that to me like Mm -hmm. the second half of this film and like let me know if it was different for you i think i said this on like twitter last night where i was like you know we we watched uncut gems and everyone knows that it's super stressful And everyone knows that this protagonist keeps doing the opposite of what he should be doing. And that's the thing that's stressful about it. Mm -hmm. But what is important about a hero, and also the same for a separation, is that the protagonist is trying his best. (laughs) And it still doesn't work out. Yeah, I mean, there is that line. I think one of the, maybe the the prison administrators said it. He was like, you're either very smart or very simple. And that kind of sums up this character who, oh oh my god, I was... I mean, it was masterfully done because I was so frustrated while watching this. I really yelled at my TV a couple times. I was yeah. like, you you idiot, don't, don't you do, that. do that. Don't <laughs> yeah. do that. Like, yeah, it's yeah. someone who is like earnestly trying to do the quote unquote right thing in a way, mm. but also like he's not immune to the different sort of temptations of like, okay, actually, I maybe I kind of want a little bit of uh, glory from this. I want yeah. a little bit of honor here and there. I want yeah. a little bit of... You know, this kind of better from this. Um, but ultimately, I think you could say his heart is in the right place, but yeah. that doesn't that doesn't matter. And mm-hmm. he's like, it's also interesting because he's not the kind of like perfect, you know, morally flawless, pure protagonist who's like 
never going to lie or always yeah. going to tell the truth or something because he's he's open to lying. He's open to telling these little lies, yeah. especially when other people tell him like, oh, it's in your best interest to just lie about it. Yeah. But then at other times he he's like not willing to lie mm-hmm. to like get him out of that initial lie. And yeah. it's just like, it was really fascinating to watch and, and just so, so frustrating. Yeah. Um, really fantastically done. Yeah. And you want your protagonist to be a little bit smart. You always do. Mm-hmm. I think the the real drama comes when you find out that they aren't and that they keep doing the opposite of what they should be doing. Yeah. I don't know. There were times in this where I was like, I don't know if I would have done anything differently at this point. Like the instance where with the city council, they have to prove that they gave it to the right person and they can't find this person. Mm-hmm. And then so they lie. It, that I don't know what you would do in that instance. Like for him, like he sees his reward. It's right there in his grasp. There's a slight hiccup. He's just trying to get to that point. Yeah. And the trip up is the thing that sends the whole thing spinning into yeah. into the abyss. Um, and he's back to where he started. What what I thought was the most expertly done was was the way that his motives are explored because yeah, like you said, he it, it's good intentions, but then he realizes that everyone around him is telling him that he shouldn't say this or he shouldn't do that, so he doesn't say it and he doesn't do it. And then he realizes that, like, oh, all of this could have been avoided if I just said the truth. And then he decides to say the truth. But then but it's it too late. Do, yeah, it's too it's late. Too it late. doesn't do anything for him now. What, what I thought was fascinating was, was that he comes from a very precarious po- position of being mm-hmm. a prisoner that is in prison for debt, which yes. suggests lying, which suggests betrayal, especially the fact that his creditor is his old family, his old brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. So it's like they know him, you know, like especially in, in a country like uh, Iran, which is very similar to Turkey. I feel like I can talk to this. Like a lot of family members get into business with one uh, one another and a lot of them mm-hmm. fall out of it. And a lot of it has to do with this feeling of like betrayal and loyalty. And like you didn't really. And that says something about the fabric of that human being. And people mm-hmm. will take the word of someone's family member over something else or over the word of that person himself, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that like that's who he is and he despite the best efforts of a the the initial good act b the spin that the the prisoner is giving him c the charitable organization trying to you know like puff him up to be basically an example of how people can prove you wrong right mm-hmm. everyone still sees that guy the second he does the wrong move and he obviously does the wrong yeah. move yeah he did the wrong move from the very beginning and it's just fascinating seeing the way that the little things that are propping him up are so weak and they just snap and then he yes. falls again. It's fascinating. Um, in terms of his motives, I really thought that his son was the perfect example of showing how... Like, his son has a speech impediment. He has a stutter that's that's quite severe. Mm-hmm. And he's young. I would say he's about eight, seven, eight years old. This kid's parents are divorced and he's really sad about it. And he's found out that his mother's getting remarried and he's really sad about it. And then his dad's out and all this shit is happening with his dad. And the the way that he uses his son um, mm-hmm. to uh, basically feign sympathy from people. Yeah. And then throughout the film he realizes just the extent to which other people will do that for him. And yeah. the, the way that he repels from that and the, well, the, the way that I guess Towards the end, especially, like, he really is trying to repent. I, I think he realized that the, the skill in this is that this protagonist realizes 
he can trace the breadcrumbs as to where something went wrong. He just doesn't know how to fix it. And his yeah. frustration throughout it is the thing that I thought was the most masterfully done because you feel it through him. Like it's so uh, visceral, yeah. you know? Yeah, especially those moments of really pure desperation where uh, it escalates into like physical desperation and like physical violence or, or outbursts. It's it's coiled up in him. He The future that he wanted was so within his grasp, but he he just could not get there. Yeah. The way that his backstory is kind of embedded throughout, it really makes you understand why he's acting the way that he is. He has a failed marriage. He's in debt with his old brother-in-law. And now he's met this new woman who he plans to marry and she's fantastic and she loves him and supports mm, him mm-hmm. and for the first time people are seeing him in a good light people are trying to like re- he he feels like they're finally recognizing him for the good that he's trying to do mm-hmm. uh, and he just wants to hang on to that he wants to hang on to that until obviously the point where he realizes that he can't and i thought the final act of that film is there's yeah. no real like it all worked out for him no it, no. it doesn't it's just he's back to where he was and I thought that that journey of like this roundabout essentially that he goes yeah. on. What is great about this is that through the protagonist, you are on this journey of like who is right, who is wrong. And as an mm-hmm. audience member as well, you're trying to figure out like, is he telling the truth? Is he lying? Is he actually a scumbag? Is the brother-in-law right? Mm-hmm. Has he, and then like towards the end, has he learned his lesson? And will he do this again? And all of that, by the end of the film, it doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter because like what you're left with was is like, what does it mean to sit at this crossroads and this intersection of what morality means? What, like, you know, hero worship means? What it, what does it mean about humanity and its good faith or lack thereof? And how do we see each other as humans? What do our previous actions mean to the people that we are today? Should we judge people on them? Yeah. Like, it's all, it's all very profound. Like, it really leaves you in a pretty profound place. Yeah. How does it, how does it make you feel, though? Does it make you feel good or bad or what? Like- <laughs> I think I, I left feeling bad or i felt like cynical um Mm -hmm. yeah the fact that he ends up in the exact same place he was before except now his reputation is just in tatters his debt is no closer to being you know repaid he's Mm -hmm. it just everything is basically uh objectively worse for him yeah and like the fact that he ended up in there because of dead he he's in prison for three years because of dead mm-hmm. like you know in a society in a world where this is possible yeah it just felt so disheartening so awful in a way um but maybe you could say like hopefully he did come to some kind of moral clarity at the end for himself like even if everything around him changed and then became the same again. Maybe he himself internally, there was some change. Um, but what does that matter in like the material world, like yeah. where he is literally in prison and you know he can't see his son yeah. and you know his his family that he's even behind is gonna feel like the the burns of his sort of disgrace uh, yeah. for for a long time. Yeah, it yeah. is really a very profound movie in that sense. And yeah. I have to confess, I, I actually thought he, at the end, I don't know if, like, this is a an intent, probably, a, like, an intentional sort of shot, but I did think that he was going to run away with his girlfriend and his son. Yeah. They had all the bags packed around them at the bus stop. I don't know if what I felt for them was hope or more, like, uh, fear and anxiety again of, like, you, you mm-hmm. idiot, what are you doing? Yeah. But then it shows that he just returns to the prison again. Yeah. Uh, 
very obediently and, you know, accepts that this is what is going to be his fate. It's interesting that you thought that because I thought it too very briefly and I was like, I hope he does. I hope he does run away because then I feel like he is protesting against this situation that a he put himself in but b others put him in for him you know yeah the external forces right yeah i don't know i'm just thinking like what would i have done and i don't know it's either i mean you either have to like go all in on on the line like just fully commit or you have to tell the truth from the beginning yeah and it's funny because like the only active decision he makes is the one about handing the coins back in and may i I'm too cynical. Like I, feel, I thought about that too, and I was just like, I would definitely just use that gold to to pay my debt off and just be out of there and marry my girl. Like that's mm-hmm. I don't know. But the thing is, like, you don't know how that gold was found, really. You do, like the mystery behind the gold and the person that they handed it over to. The fact that you just never know. You never know yeah. who this woman is. Um, and I, they never I able that was to like find good her. Good decision. Yeah. Oh, it was so good. I think the the symbolism of the film it kind of tells you what's going to happen in the very first shot. Well, not the very first shot, but the film is set in Shiraz, which is a very like historical city in Iran. So he goes to visit his uh, sister's husband, and he goes up and then down Nakhchivan, which is basically the resting place of the Persian ruler Darius the Great and his son Xerxes. And it's super symbolic because it's like ascent and descent, you know? So the fact that it kind of tells you what oh. it is is really interesting. I really liked it. Like, because in throughout the rest of the film, you don't really see the city, you don't really see the touristic stuff. It's very just lived in. And that's the only point in which you see something that the city is known for. And like, uh, you know, Iranians like really respect Shiraz because it is such a point of pride for their, for their country's history. So I thought that was really smart. And then, like, I think the the one thing that I kind of wanted to expand a little bit on, the thing that kind of stayed with me, again, this is something that I think uh, Farhadi is really good at in terms of explaining Iranian culture without being, hey, this is Iranian culture. Like, it's not white gazy at all. But with, with this one, even though it's very universal with regards to, like, honesty, morality, and, and all that good shit, there is something very hyper-specific about the way that this plays out in Iran, like, culturally. Um, mm-hmm. Again, speaking from someone that, you know, knows Turkish culture and understands the similarities between the two cultures, and I think this is, like, for the most part, a Middle Eastern thing as well, is mm-hmm. the way that, like, honesty and honor are the most sought-after traits in society. Like, it's so important for someone to be honorable. It's so important for you to be honest and true and pure. The gag is... <laughs> is that it's not believed to exist. Like a lot of Middle Eastern people are super cynical. They do mm-hmm. not think they do not think that most people are honorable or honest. It's mm-hmm. like it's something that I notice every time I go to Turkey. Like my mum is just constantly on edge about being scammed. <laughs> just mm-hmm. constant. And I know that that's like the class difference and and what that results in, but it it's fascinating to see it play out in this way. Just because it just showcases the delicacy of something that is so sought after. I will say that some critics have noticed what this might say about this world of social media that we're in. Because social media does play a role in this film. You just never see it. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind like, of running in the background. It, it, like yeah. No one's really looking at screens that much. You don't see the accounts of anything. Um, yeah. But it's but just the urgency, there. like it drives uh, so much of the, the actual plot and action. Just things that are happening unseen in the background which is terrifying in a way yeah i get it it is a film about that but i 
don't know. It's like a chicken or egg. You know, is social media just a tool to project it even louder? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think it's it's louder and faster, and those are the threats. And, but otherwise, sure, like, even without that, you would have still had this threat of, like, yeah. ruined reputations uh, in this sort of environment. Yeah. It just maybe would have been kept much more local. Yeah. Um, spread a little bit slower, but yeah. online, it's just everything is amplified and intensified. Yeah, and with regards to social media in a country like Iran or like in, like say, for example, speaking on the side of Turkey, like Farhadi recently said in an interview, like the reason why <laughs> I, like the older generations are a little bit more, there, there is a double life that is led because most people want to project this image of uh, goodness or righteousness out into the world. And it's something that everybody does. So everybody knows that there is a double life, you know, like the difference between the personal and the public projection of yourself is Mm -hmm. something that is to be known, which is why, because we're all engaging in it, we all are suspect of each other. How that fits Mm -hmm. into social media is that everybody has a double life also. They have an online persona and then they have the person that they are in real life, which is why I think like it just slots into it perfectly, but it is just something that is pre-existing. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I really recommend watching this film. It is, I I know we've talked about it being stressful, but it isn't like, it isn't Uncut Gems stressful. It is just fascinating to watch this protagonist navigate the situation. He's such a simple person that is just kind of trying his best, but also has a little bit of like, he kind of understands the complication of the world, but not fully, which is his biggest, that's his Achilles Achilles heel, basically, if we're talking Mm -hmm. about heroes. This week in culture, we have a little Sundance dispatch from Helen. Only a little one. A little one, that's fine. (laughs) Um, So Helen was able to catch all the films of Sundance um, online, virtually. Yeah. So tell us, Helen, like, what was that like? What was your Sundance experience this year and what happened? It was great. It was so much fun. I was so happy with it. Um, So last year they were virtual, obviously. And then this year they were going to be in person in Utah. So Sundance is a film festival that's in Utah. Uh, feels random, I know. A lot of film festivals in America are in random towns, but it works out for them. And because of Omicron, they had to cancel. <laughs> so they went virtual again. Uh, I think it was a little bit more of a last minute, but I'm sure the plan B was drawn up a while back. Uh, and what ends up happening with this is that instead of having to go and watch screenings in person in Utah... We could just buy tickets online. Like anybody and their mama could have bought tickets <laughs> Not online. Not just inner people or critics or anything like that. No, no. Like just regular public uh, could buy tickets. But we ended up watching five films, mm-hmm. which it really isn't a lot. You know, a lot of critics and a lot of people whose job it is to watch these things, they're like racking up like 50s, mm. 30, wow. 40, 50 which is kind of crazy. We didn't watch any documentary for no real reason. I I think with a lot of documentaries, I just anticipate that they're going to get bought, especially the good ones, and we'll probably watch it on Apple or Netflix or whatever. But the whole point of Sundance, for those that don't know, is people, like filmmakers, screen their films and then buyers buy them. So it can be uh, like anybody in the industry with regards to like studio, with regards to like theater people, like the cinema theater chains and stuff, like they put money into it and then distribute it it's all distribution that's the whole point of it so i thought this was great like i hope that next year even if they do go back in person that there is a segment of tickets put aside for virtual Mm -hmm. um because i really i mean i want to go to sundance i've never been it's like a lifelong dream of mine to go Mm -hmm. but 
it's fucking long to do that, bruv. <laughs> like, yeah. it's long. Like, buying the ticket, trying to find... Because it gets... That town gets, like, it gets rammed. Packed. Yeah. It gets super packed. And it's also kind of, like, like it's super industry speak. Everyone's on a different wave than I think I would want to be on. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to just do it in the comfort of my home. It's over now. I, I can recommend some films, like, some of the ones that I watched. Yeah. But, tell me... Uh, yeah. Tell me your favorite thing that you watched as part of Sundance this year. <sighs> I'm going to say two films okay. really stuck out to me. You Won't Be Alone. It's kind of, it's a film about a witch. Ooh, already interested. It, and it's like, it's, I wouldn't say it's horror at all. There's like a little bit of gore in it, but it's really not that serious. But it, it, it's a fantastic film about like the passage of time and life and what you do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Watcher is also a really really great film that has still stayed with me it is a thr- that is a thriller mm-hmm. that's a film by Chloe Okuno it's a pretty straightforward thriller but it's executed so well it's so taut there's not one minute wasted and the performances are fantastic like i just it really stayed with me it's kind of about is is this woman it, it's like the reverse rear window where a woman feels like she's being watched by someone across the street from her um i watched a couple others that weren't for me uh, I think Resurrection was parts of it were really good and parts of it were really bad. So I also watched After Yang, who um, it's a, it's the latest film by Koganada. Um, you know, we talked about his film Columbus on a previous episode. I think this is better than Columbus. It still wasn't like the best for me. So I, I feel like we'll probably watch it and talk about it on this podcast. So I don't, I don't want to say anything too much. <laughs> um, I'm excited for you to see it. I think I text you to be like, yo, because um, our guy Colin Farrell's in it. Um, oh that's always a plus yeah yeah th- those those are the ones that really stuck out to me and then oh i also watched cha-cha real smooth which is uh pod favorite cooper rafe's latest film yeah one of our really fun earlier, time one of our earlier episodes really love cooper yeah rafe. and i don't know if i ever said on the spot but after we talked about uh his film shithouse his uh first film he uh messaged us like as a reply i think on instagram or something saying like you know thank you so much for talking about uh, my film and i don't know really endearing really really love that love him (laughs) he's our little brother he's our little filmmaker brother we (laughs) want him to succeed um no he's great and this latest film is also really really good like it's so heartwarming laughed out loud a lot of times uh he's in that with dakota johnson who is kind of doing her little indie film circuit i'm very happy for her too uh but that film uh cha-cha real smooth actually won the audience award for at sundance so good for him yeah this is great i fucking love doing a virtual film festival at home uh i don't know what this means for the future of film festivals i think that's still kind of up in the air i definitely know that like in terms of the films being sold they're a little bit slower when it goes virtual because people just kind of want to watch the full lineup but it for the most part in terms of the audience i think it is great it makes it super accessible i also think that smaller films that won't necessarily get hyped up by distributors actually just get hyped up by uh audience and then that results in you know a, a nice little media flurry that hopefully gets them noticed so yeah we'll i'll be keeping an eye on some of these films that i've been watching uh, and then when they're out into the larger larger universe, we can maybe talk about them. Yeah, sounds good. Happy happy Sundance. In the meantime, if you are watching anything that you think we should also watch, let us know at criticismisdead at gmail.com or you can just add us or DM us at criticismisdead on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, as always, for extended show notes, including links 
bonus links, whatever, uh, check out criticismisdead.substack.com. Uh, you can rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. Uh, five stars only, please. Please, please, please. Uh, Maybe tell a friend about us. Um, otherwise, thank you as always. Uh, we will see you next week. See you next week. Take care. Criticism Instead is produced by Pelin Keskin Lu and Jenny Jijang. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Lu.